Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, we shall break down what we thought of the season finale for one of the biggest shows in the galaxy, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. I'll review a great movie on Netflix called RRR and a not-so-great movie on Netflix called Spiderhead. Plus... We'll tell you about a couple of tremendous Canadian TV shows that make their returns next month. Have you come to destroy me, Obi-Wan? I will do what I must. Then you will die. That is a snip from the big battle between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader in the season finale for Obi-Wan Kenobi, a six-episode series on Disney Plus that takes place 10 years after the stuff that happened in episode three. And Obi-Wan Kenobi starts off the series. He's still watching over Luke Skywalker, but he's essentially lost his will to care about anything else. And he's even lost his ability to use the Force to some extent as a, as a Jedi, the once mighty Jedi warrior, just losing his way until he is sent on a mission to help his old friend recover his daughter, Princess Leia, and then eventually crosses paths with Darth Vader, and uh, they have their big throwdown in the final episode. I thought the series was terrific, but let me just point to a couple of headlines here. When you Google Kenobi review, you get headlines like, Obi-Wan Kenobi had a mesmerizing Anakin moment, but it couldn't fix a galaxy of plot holes. Another one says, the Obi-Wan Kenobi finale pushed our exhaustion with prequels to the limit. Another one says, Obi-Wan Kenobi review entirely predictable, but still fun. And as far as Rotten Tomatoes goes, the final episode is at 88%. And the the summary says, if Obi-Wan Kenobi never quite fulfilled its lofty promise, it thankfully sticks the landing with an action-packed finale that is fittingly full of hope. So, Jeff... What'd you think? I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed the finale quite a bit, and I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed the series overall as well. I thought there was a, there's a great lightsaber fight in this final episode. We I remember talking a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about one of the earlier episodes, obviously, and it was uh, there, we mentioned how there was a lightsaber in the dark at night outside, which we I hadn't seen a whole lot before in any Star Wars uh, iterations, live action at least. I guess there was one with. Uh, Kylo Ren and uh, Ray at the end of the F- Force Awakens, but uh, the ones with Darth Vader again, the one in this finale is also outside in the dark at night, and uh, that's just the lightsabers just look cool in the dark like that. I wish they would do more of that. I'm glad they did it here, uh, you know. And also, usually Darth Vader is so awkward when he's swinging a lightsaber, especially in the original trilogy. So we got like a, a leaner, meaner Vader uh, sword fighting style here. It was kind of fun to see. Um, I really like Obi-Wan, obviously. Ewan McGregor's even better here than he was in the prequels, but these, of course, were written or were not written by the king of wooden dialogue, George Lucas, like those prequel movies were. So he had some better material to work with. I did also like the uh, callback, he says, uh, his last line there at the end of the movie is a callback to the original, which is pretty interesting. 
Um, and I also liked Riva and Leia and Ice Cube Jr. I thought bringing back Hayden Christensen, that was a bit of a novelty. They didn't, he didn't really have a ton to do. They could have sort of dressed up anyone in that Vader suit. And, uh, I mean, the James Earl Jones voice to me was much more, uh, of a thrill to see again than to see, or to hear again, obviously, than to see Hayden Christensen come back and reprise the role. Uh, I did like, I really like the way they portrayed the Empire in the series because they're, you know, at the at the end of the prequels, it's just kind of starting to fire up. And then, of course, in the original trilogy, it's a full-blown, you know, pure evil. And here, 10 years in between each, it's kind of like a somewhere in the middle kind of thing. And that's what the, that's what they were. It's like they were bad, but not quite as bad as you know they're going to get. And uh, we heard a lot of characters, including Jimmy Smith, alluding to that. A couple of times, so I thought that was kind of interesting. A good series overall. I thought it was better than the much better than the Boba Fett show, but I still think the Mandalorian is the best of the Star Wars shows that we've seen so far on Disney Plus. I, I do wish they'd come up with another show that's just a, a weekly adventure of someone instead of a, a two-hour movie drawn out over six episodes. I, I like the weekly installments where it's a week separate weekly adventure. I th- like that style a little bit more than what we get with these. But overall, I have. No real complaints about the Obi-Wan Kenobi show at all. I thought it was quite a bit of fun. Yeah, I, I, well, I enjoyed the series overall as a whole. It wasn't perfect, but the, the finale was tremendous. It was super emotional uh, for me just seeing these two characters come back and, and face off for the first real time after the events of Revenge of the Sith, you know, seeing how, especially because I've, I've now completed two seasons of the Clone Wars and they're, they're brothers in arms, they're friends, they're master and, and Padawan. And then eventually, you know, Obi-Wan is a Jedi master. Anakin is a Jedi Knight who fights side by side with him. And they, they experience so much together. And Anakin, when you, when watching the Clone Wars, yep, he's reckless, but he really he cares and he cares about people more than the other Jedi do, or at least in different ways. You know, he's overtly compassionate and he's overtly, you know, he, he care, just seems to care more. He's more emotional. And ultimately that's what feeds his, his fall to the dark side. So he's such a seeing this. It's tragic to see these old friends go at it, but the fight was so cool, you know, because we got to see, Darth Vader do like actual cool Darth Vader stuff because in the original movies we saw very little of that and as you alluded to that first lightsaber scene between Darth Vader and Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan Kenobi (laughs) in A New Hope it was clunky but if memory serves I think that was by design because George Lucas originally envisioned the lightsabers would be heavy like uh, broadswords almost so then they they as the the saga went on they decided to change tactics and make it more light and now that's why they can have their razzle dazzle lightsaber scenes so um it was cool to see vader but it was also cool to see obi-wan's journey as a man who has kind of lost his way and sort of return to the powerful jedi knight that he once was and i thought the way that they did it all was great i thought the exchanges they had in that final scene were great i liked seeing hayden christensen come back i know we saw very little of him in that fifth episode we saw a lot more of him because of that um that uh flashback series of flashbacks they showed when he was training with obi-wan when he was still a padawan and i didn't mind the fact that he wasn't i think they digitally de-aged him a little bit 
but not a lot. It sounds like that may have been a late reshoot or a late addition to the show. So maybe they did, just didn't have time to de-age him to make him look like a teenager. But I don't. I I, I enjoyed that he looked older because it was sort of an acknowledgement that yeah Hayden Christensen is back and he looked like he was genuinely enjoying himself and I don't think this is going to be the end of him reprising that role as Darth Vader because there is talk that he might be in the Ahsoka Tano series that's coming out there's talk of a potential season two for Obi-Wan Kenobi and there's even talk of a potential full-blown Darth Vader spinoff so I think his journey might just be starting as uh, this in this sort of second life, the second phase of his time as Darth Vader. One thing, I, I just got to point this out as well. There's a guy on YouTube, goes by the name of Mike Zero, last name spelled Z-E-R-O-H, and he posts a ton of Star Wars videos. I don't know where he got this because when I, when I followed up and tried to Google it, I found nothing. But he says that they are going to re-edit this series and add in a bunch of stuff that Kathy Kennedy ordered, deleted the the head of Lucasfilm, and they're going to fix, touch up some of the visual effects and just try to make it better. And he says this is in response to all of the fan outrage because there are a lot of fans who hate this show. I I can't tell people what whether or not they should like something and they should hate it, but Star Wars fans who get so angry because it's not perfectly the way they imagined. I uh, wish they would just calm down a little bit. Anyway, I have no idea if this Mike Zero guy is full of it or if there's some truth to that. Just put, just planting that seed in case it pops up this fall, like, hey, we redid Obi-Wan Kenobi or the extended version of Obi-Wan Kenobi. But overall, I was really, really happy. And when he said his final line, I, I <laughs> when he was Obi-Wan Kenobi, he's walking up to the person he's about to talk to. And I just found myself saying, say it, please say it. And then he does. And I was like, yeah, that's the best way to end this potentially series or at the very least this season. So Obi-Wan Kenobi, good stuff. In a moment, we're going to tell you about a couple of new movies that are coming out this weekend. One looks really creepy. And the other one is about the king. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. A couple of new movies in theaters this weekend, including Boz Lerman's Elvis. I wish to promote you, Mr. Presley. Walk through a party in a town of jail. Are you ready to fly? I'm ready. Ready to fly. Tomorrow, all of America will be talking about Elvis Presley. I can't move, I can't sing. Martin Luther King has been shot to death in Memphis. That's all right for you. Tragedy, but it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with us. I'm on before the shoot, and nobody's gonna remember me. I need to get back to who I really am. Elvis is played by Austin Butler, who was most memorable as Manson family member Tex in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And Tom Hanks plays Colonel Tom Parker, Elvis Presley's promoter, who had an enormous influence on Elvis's life and career, and not always for the better. The reviews have been pretty good so far. It's at 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, with the consensus being that it's a pretty standard biopic, but 
with the added benefit of Boz Lerman's energy and style and a terrific lead performance by Butler. I just got to be making the most of this thing while I can. This can all be over in a flash. We are the same, you and I. We are two odd, lonely children reaching for eternity. The greatest show on earth. Elvis has left the building. I'm no musicologist, but um, the the king of rock for such a good reason. Just hearing. Hearing the voice and hearing that music, it's given me goosebumps. And um, I remember I went to see, I went to see an Elvis cover concert in conjunction with a Symphony Orchestra, and even that, like I knew the guy in front of me was an Elvis Presley, and he was he was a just a, a shell of the King of Rock, but it was still so entertaining. His music is so fantastic, and combined with Boz Lerman, I think this will be great. Because, like, would you? I would suggest there's no filmmaker quite like Boz Lerman. No, he's definitely one of a kind. Of course, he made uh, Moulin Rouge, and he recently made the the Great Gats, the Great Gatsby. He also made that movie uh, Australia, starring Hugh Jackman and uh, Nicole Kidman. I actually like that one more than I thought I would. So yeah, he's got some good stuff out there, and he, he does. He's it's all kind of larger than life and that sort of thing, and very visual. And uh, Elvis is a and Elvis and Boz Lerman seem like a, a good match. Um, I will say there's one knock against this movie already. It's two hours and 37 minutes long Ugh. because uh, I don't know why the world is incapable of making a movie shorter than two hours anymore, but there you have it. <laughs> okay. And if that's not your thing, also out this weekend, Ethan Hawke looks super creepy in The Black Phone. Would you like to see a magic trick? Who is this? The ones he took before you. He's watching you, but we're here with you. You have to hurry, or you'll join us too. Here's a synopsis. Finney, a shy but clever 13-year-old boy, is abducted by a sadistic killer and trapped in a soundproof soundproof basement where screaming is of little use. When a disconnected phone on the wall begins to ring, Finney discovers that he can hear the voices of the killer's previous victims, and they are dead set on making sure that what happened to them does not happen to Finney. This looks really good. It's getting good reviews, 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. So those are the two movies out this weekend, Elvis and the Black Phone. And just want to quickly mention this, some exciting stuff this week for fans of Stranger Things... Because Netflix dropped a trailer this week for Stranger Things Volume 2. Volume 1, the first seven episodes of Season 4, debuted on May 27th, and they're releasing the final two episodes on July 1st. Stranger Things, in short, it's about a group of kids in 1980s Indiana who get involved with supernatural stuff, interdimensional monsters, and shady government nonsense. It is a blast of a show. It's a huge hit for Netflix. And as far as trailers go, this thing is a masterclass on how to use music for a trailer. I know you're frightened. You're terribly frightened by what you've seen. But I'm not going to lie to you. Your friends are not prepared for this fight. Hawkins will fall. 
Now, the song they've reworked to give it that movie trailer, big orchestra feel is Running Up That Hill by Kate Bush from 1985, and it's enjoyed a huge resurgence since it was used with such terrific effect in Volume 1. It's charting higher than ever before, and this trailer will certainly help its continued success. So I can't wait for those final two episodes. They debut July 1st. Your friends have lost. Coming up next, we're going to tell you about a couple of awesome Canadian TV shows that are set to make their return, and we'll tell you about a couple of contrasting movies. One good, one not so good. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. Talking a couple of movies now that I watched actually on Netflix this week, and one of them, the first one we're going to talk about, is something I've been hearing about here and there uh, for the last couple of months, people just raving about it, and then this last week I saw a whole bunch of stuff on my social media about it, so I thought time to finally buckle down and watch it it's one of the most bonkers movies out there right now it's from india on netflix and it's called rrr scott varavarma adilabad vachinappudu o chinna pillan theesukochaaru RRR stands for Rise, Roar, Revolt. On Netflix, it's in Hindi with a little bit of English, but I believe the original dialogue was shot in Telugu, which is spoken in a couple of Indian states. So there are subtitles, obviously, and while we're talking about the things that'll keep people from watching, I'll also point out it is a full three hours long. Now, if any of those things are going to keep you from watching, it really is your loss because this movie is amazing. It is mostly an excessively violent action-adventure movie with some very strong drama, some comedy, a little romance, and even a few musical numbers. Not enough to call it a musical, but more than enough not to, if that makes sense. There's just a lot of stuff going on. It's set in India in 1920. The British still rule, and it's very cruel. In fact, the inciting incident shows a general's wife uh, getting a henna tattoo by a little girl in a village, and the general, the British general's wife, likes it so much she decides she wants to keep the girl, so they just take her, kicking and screaming from her family. It is pretty awful, as you can imagine. The villagers decide to send someone to free her and bring her back, and that guy's name is beam. Meantime, the general gets wind that someone will be coming for the girl and assigns one of his soldiers to hunt beam. That soldier is also an Indian named Raju. And wouldn't you know it, both men working undercover end up meeting each other and becoming friends. But obviously some kind of betrayal will lie ahead when they find out what each is other is up to. That's sort of the basic plot, at least the beginning of it. Again, it is a three-hour movie. It is epic, and there are a lot of twists and turns along the way, and the way the entire story unfolds is just delightful. By the end, it really has been this epic journey that's very satisfying on the storytelling front. Even more satisfying is the visual front, because the action in this movie is insane. It's like the Fast and the Furious meets John Wick meets The Matrix meets Zack Snyder. It's very stylized. It really does look like Snyder directed it. There's a lot of speed ramping and physics defying jumping and punching and kicking and shooting and a lot of blood as well. And these guys at times are also basically superheroes. Like, you know, they're getting a fight and all of a sudden one guy just like 
picks up a motorcycle and starts swinging it around over his head. Uh, it does seem, you know, the best way to fight a bunch of guys at once would be to pick one up and then throw that guy at a bunch of the others. So you can take out five guys with one quick move like that. Happens quite a bit. There's also, of course, a lot of CGI, especially with wild animals. And honestly, a lot of the CGI is really obvious. It's not clunky or anything, but it is a little cartoony. And I thought that was fine because in this movie, it, it fits. Everything is so bombastic and so heightened, it would make sense that the CGI is also not entirely lifelike because almost nothing is. Another element that adds to the weird sense of a heightened reality is the dialogue and the sound. It's all recorded after the fact. They looped it in later, and you can tell. But again, given the nature of the film, it sort of works in its favor. Uh, I don't know. I don't think there's a way to describe this movie that actually does it justice. You sort of have to see it to believe it. There are also some things going on that we simply don't see in Hollywood movies a lot. Uh, you know, Vin Diesel is not about to sing a song about becoming friends with Paul Walker, although now that I say it out loud, he actually might do that. Uh, but like John Wick, you know, it doesn't take a... a, a like it, you know how John Wick doesn't take a break from killing guys to sing a sad song about his dog. I mean, there's also a dance-off in this movie, so it's, it's way different than those movies I did mention, even though a lot of the stylistic things are sort of the same. There's literally something for everyone. By and large, though, bloody violence is the order of the day. Again, it's really something to behold. You should absolutely give it a shot. Watch for half an hour or so. If you can't get into it, turn it off. Again, it's on Netflix. You've got nothing to lose. I enjoyed it immensely. Four couch cushions out of five, Brett, for RRR on Netflix. Wow. I'd heard a couple of people talking about, I just recently somebody said they were going to watch this RRR movie, and I thought, what is that? So I'm glad that you watched it because I had no no clue that it was this cool. So I think I might add to that. And this will definitely be uh, two, possibly (laughs) three uh, viewing like sessions because for me to get I can't I can't get through a three hour movie at home anymore I just I don't have the attention span I need to figure that out I I hear you and I sort of thought that would be the same for me but then I did end up watching it all in one chunk I mean I did hit pause a few times to do other things quickly but it, it, I found it engaging enough that I just wanted to keep going and keep going with it and it moves along at just a real brisk pace so uh, for a three hour movie it's a pretty easy watch on the other hand. I watched another movie this weekend. It's Netflix's top movie. It's called Spiderhead, starring Chris Hemsworth and Miles Teller. That's Spiderhead. We're proud of our work. Your presence in this facility, while technically a punishment, is a privilege. Where have you been? Drug study. In science, we have to explore the unknown. They've been testing me up and down. A lot weirder stuff than usual. This is new frontier stuff here. Before we begin, I need your permission to administer Dan 40. This place can really mess with your head. Drip on? Acknowledge. Drip on? Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Yeah, acknowledge. Let's do this. Spiderhead is a thriller of sorts, although it's not too thrilling. It's classic Netflix movie making, the sort of thing that's okay, but you're glad you didn't spend theater money on it. It's also more interesting than it is entertaining, which isn't always a 
great thing to say about a movie. The movie's set in a prison facility, but not like anything in real life. In this facility called Spiderhead, the prisoners have a few more perks than a normal prison. They have their own rooms, which, while sparse, are certainly better than a regular jail cell. Not quite as good as a hotel room, but much better than Shawshank, for example. And they have a fully stacked kitchen at their disposal. They can move around freely inside. No locked doors anywhere, anything like that. The catch, though, is that they volunteer to be guinea pigs for some drug testing. Chris Hemsworth is a scientist that's put this all together and with his assistant conducts the testing. We see the inmates undergo the effects of several drugs with names like Laffodil, which makes everything funny to the user, or Verbulose or something quite like it. I can't exactly remember what that one was called, but that was a drug that makes the user more articulate. And then there was also the dreaded Darken flocks, which is a major downer. And I will say it was a bit hard to take any of the characters seriously whenever they said the word Darken flocks because it's just a really bad, ridiculous name. Miles Teller is the main character. He's one of the prisoners. He's friends with Journey Smollett, who's another prisoner. They all have these little boxes implanted in their backs with vials of the different drugs. And then Hemsworth can inject them with, with whichever drug he wants, just using his phone as a remote to administer the dosages. And he's a very kind and friendly and uh, hey, I'm your buddy kind of scientist, although we can tell he's really a monster putting on a happy face. Although it seems like the movie maybe thinks that we can't tell that because almost all of the revelations and reveals deep into the movie are either things I had already assumed were the case or were just such minor new details that they didn't really make me even raise an eyebrow. There's a lot of uh, new information shared between Teller and Smollett late in the movie, for example, that they really teased throughout and then it was just underwhelming when they really get into it. Uh, so the big reveals just don't land with any impact, which is too bad, because I really like the premise, and I thought while I was watching it, the premise would maybe be better suited to an episode of The Twilight Zone or Alfred Hitchcock Presents or something. Uh, and then I learned afterwards that it was based on a short story, so that made sense. It's got short story vibes, and of course, Netflix likes to take things that should be short and make them longer than necessary a lot of the time, so here we are. Again, it's not a bad movie, it's just, you know that Netflix thing of being acceptable since you're paying for the service anyways and you didn't have to pay extra to watch it. I would point out that I also watched Ocean's Eleven for the 50th time the same day, and I was much more taken in by that even though I knew exactly how it was going to play out. The other disappointing thing about Spiderhead is that it's directed by Joe Kaczynski, who directed Top Gun Maverick, so he's got both an excellent summer blockbuster playing in theaters at the exact same time. He's got a very average at best Netflix movie streaming. And in fact, I will give Spiderhead two and a half couch cushions out of five. Brett? Two and a half couch cushions out of five for Spiderhead, four couch cushions out of five for RRR. And up next, I want to tell you about two Canadian shows. I am pumped to know that they're coming back. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. I am excited about this because this kind of caught me off guard. I just saw an ad the other day and thought, oh, yeah, because Global is getting set to launch a second season of a show I really enjoyed back in the summer of 2020, Departure. That first season was a six-part series that follows the investigation into the shocking disappearance of a passenger plane over the Atlantic. It starred Archie Punjabi as the lead investigator. Christopher Plummer was in it, too. And that season had an interesting road in getting to our TVs because... Departure was commissioned by Global, while NBC Universal bought the drama series to air in the UK, Germany, France, Spain, Poland, and Africa. It aired in the UK in the summer of 2019. We finally got it on Global in 2020. Well, same kind of deal with season two. It aired in August 2021 on the Peacock streaming service in the US. 
Not sure why Global has to wait so long for a show. It ordered, LOL. But I'm sure there's an easy explanation. I just don't care. All I care about is that it is finally here. Final boarding, Toronto to Chicago. The brakes are responding. Kendra Mali, I'm the lead crash investigator. Early reports are 60 dead. Do you think someone killed all these people on purpose? Your crash just became my crime scene. The tanker truck is an anomaly. I saw that man. Someone's prepared to go to any extent to stop us from finding the truth. First season was a plane crash. Second season, a train crash. Looked cool. Departure season two, July 13th on Global. And if you want to watch season one of Departure, you can do so on demand or through the Global TV app or through Stack TV. Also excited about this. The Amazing Race Canada. Yeah! Go! The Amazing Race Canada returns on July 5th with its 8th season. I was wondering if CTV would continue to do this show after having to not do it in 2020 and 2021. The 10 teams were revealed this week, and the show is once again hosted by Olympic gold medalist John Montgomery. Not a bad prize they're fighting for. The winners get two Chevrolet Silverado ZR2s, a trip around the world, and 250000 bucks. And I much prefer The Amazing Race Canada to The Amazing Race, the original, the OG on CBS. Even though I still like, I love that one, but there's just something special about watching a show like this in our own backyards. So that's July 5th. Again, Departure starts uh, Season 2 on July 13th. That sounds awesome. They So they stay in Canada for this race? I haven't seen it in so long. I can't remember how they do it. Or do they travel the world? I think they mostly stay in Canada. I think uh, they they might leave it once or twice. I know that they've gone to the States, and I think they've gone to Europe, but it's usually sort of like they go to one place and then they come back. Uh, so right it's not a, so much a globe-trotting adventure because there's so much, I mean, there's so much land to, to cover just in Canada, right? And so much cool stuff to see. So I like that they do it mostly in Canada. Yeah, I like that too. I actually might check that out. I haven't tuned into that for quite some time. But the best show of 2021 is back for a second season this week. It's Disney Plus's Only Murders in the Building, starring Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. You are all persons of interest in this case. Someone's trying to frame this. This is going to be fine. Could be bad. Very rare for a true crime podcast to do a sequel. We have a real opportunity here. Does anyone else feel like there's still a couple of loose ends? Get a new hobby, as long as it doesn't land you in jail. Like knitting? All right, don't be a smart ass. It's kind of her thing. We are looking for new evidence. You clearly know things that you're not sharing. You understand the definition of perjury? I know what perjury is. I don't. Martin, Short, and Gomez are back as Charles, Oliver, 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 and Mabel, uh, three true crime enthusiasts who live in the same fancy New York City apartment building, and they banded together last year to solve a murder in their building. Now there's been another murder, but this time they are the prime suspects, and amateur sleuthing and hilarity will ensue, of course. Only Murders in the Building was my favorite show last year. A wonderful blend of an actual murder mystery and comedy with some drama as well. And whenever Steve Martin and Martin Short team up, it's exciting. And honestly, Selena Gomez holds her own with those titans of comedy. Season one, highly entertaining. Very much looking forward to season two episodes dropping weekly on Disney Plus, starting with the first two this Tuesday. Isn't this fun? As you can see, we're on fire. 
two breaths. We have two options. I slap you across the face, or we just skip to the part where you say, thanks, kid, that was tough to hear. Uh, not the slapping one. Go full Ollie Mabel here. What? Ollie Mabel. All our names put into one. Where is the Charles in Ollie Mabel? The Charles is silent. And finally, a new show that looks like a ton of fun out on Netflix this weekend, and it might just be the thing for those with short attention spans. If you can't hold, handle the three hours of RRR, check out Rowan Atkinson starring in a show called Man vs. B. On all 14 counts of dangerous driving, the destruction of priceless artwork, oh. arson. Ah. Do you have anything to say before you're taken down? You see, there was this B. Atkinson, a.k.a. Mr. Bean, plays a guy who becomes a professional house sitter and he's house sitting at a fancy mansion and there's a bee in the house and he tries to get rid of it and that's the whole show. The bee increasingly drives him crazy and he increasingly destroys the mansion. Now, the hook of the show is that some of the episodes are just 10 minutes long. There are nine total episodes that equal a grand total of one hour and 40 minutes worth of screen time. Uh, you know, it makes a lot of sense because if it is just him causing chaos trying to kill a bee, 10 minutes is probably plenty long enough for an episode of that. And yes, it is incredibly ironic coming from Netflix, who I've already complained about a lot today, where we, you know, find that their episodes are too long and there's too many of them. So here's a wild swing in the other direction. Atkinson, of course, is hilarious. And I'm pretty sure if you like Mr. Bean, Man versus B will be right up your alley. Is everything all right? Fine, fine. Where are you? Well, one final note here. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is already available on Disney Plus, like uh, two months after, not even two months. It, it opened at the beginning of May, and now it's on Disney Plus. I just noticed it yesterday, and that's weird because it's still in theaters, buying for box office dollars. But now that it's on Disney Plus, maybe not. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.